If you would open your Bibles, please, to the book of the Revelation. This is chapter 21. Chapter 21. So this is the last sermon on really our lives on this earth, living in a hostile world, living in a threatening world, living in a world filled with pain. How are we to do it? Do we just set our hope in heaven? Is that it? We just look to heaven? Well, certainly we do that. We have our feet firmly planted on the earth. We have work to do. We march forward like soldiers with Christ. We run the race with perseverance. And yet we fix our eyes on the inheritance that is ours. In Revelation 21, we see chapter 22 is the very last chapter of the Bible, of course. In chapter 21, we see the end, really, of all things pictured here in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, which is the church. Please remain seated. I'm going to read the entire chapter. This is God's holy and inspired, beautiful word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues, And spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the twelve gates, twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's 
measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like a clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, a tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his slaves will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, they will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are standing in wonder at the glory of the inheritance that you have provided for us. Not necessarily of gold and jewels, but of your permanent presence with your people in all perfection. We pray in Jesus' name that we would remember your promises on this earth, that you would grow in us a desire to be with you forever and ever. Lord, help us as we study this word. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the hope of God's remnant is this, the new heavens and the new earth. It's final, it's certain, and it's complete victory for God's people. It is already written. Isn't that great news? It's written. There is no doubt. We know the end of the story. Indeed, it's his story. I'm indebted um, to a number of theologians as I studied Revelation, especially Hendrickson and Beale, who are wonderful if you want to study more. Um, So this is the very end of the Bible, and it's... Wonderful to see that there are so many similarities between the beginning and the end of the scriptures. God is is basically showing us that the beauty of the scripture, the inspired word of God, is really all in his hands. And it, it displays the glory of his redemptive purpose on the earth. I'll give you a few examples. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the end, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
in the beginning God created the lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and in the end there's no need of light or sun or moon, for the glory of God it gives a light and a lamp. In the beginning God dwelt with man in the Garden of Eden, walked with man. In the end God declares, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. In the beginning God gave the man a bride, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. In the end God gives his son the bride, the new Jerusalem, perfect, safe, spotless, full of life and beautiful. In the beginning man was deceived and brought misery and death to the, to the universe. And in the end we read that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. In the beginning, God said if they disobeyed his words, they would surely die. Remember in, in our study of Genesis, it's the Hebrew word twice. They will die, die. They will surely die. In the end, God says he's making all things new, and this is trustworthy and true. It is done. In the beginning, the serpent entered into the garden to bring harm to mankind. And in the end, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. All that is wrong will be made right, and all that is broken will be put back together perfectly. It's the Garden of Eden as it was meant to be without sin. And this is the overriding theme of the book of the Revelation is that God's victory is final, it's certain, and it's complete. These words were written to to real churches in the first century. And this would be a wonderful encouragement to them as they suffered for the gospel. God's people have confidence that in the end, all things are made right and they will be living with God in in perfect unity. These words are faithful and true. Jesus says twice at the end of this vision, these words are faithful and true. He also says this twice, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In other words, he is sovereign over every detail of the end and of the beginning and all that it represents, all of history. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, and he will purify his bride, the church. This is certain. So let's look at the text. Beautiful, glorious encouragement in this text. Chapter 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. The universe, once broken by sin, is now completely remade. This is a new heaven and a new earth, and it's joined together in a beautiful way. The Greek words don't describe Complete destruction of the old creation and recreation of something brand new. Rather, it's more like a full renewal. It's like a body that dies and is buried in the grave and then is raised up to new life. You still recognize the person. It is still the person. It's just a perfect person without sin. So the renewed and resurrected heavens will be like a completely renewed body purged of sin and brokenness and thorns and thistles. Hendrickson writes, The old order has vanished. The universe in which the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, the harlot were carrying out their program of iniquity, it has all been vanquished. 
and praise God. And the sea was no more. So does that mean there's not going to be water in the new heavens and the new earth? This is a vision, and it's a symbolic vision. He's talking about the sea as it was seen in the time of the first century and all really throughout human history, indeed today. The sea is always a roaring, raging, agitated tempest. It's a place of fear and death. The the beast, if you remember, rose up out of the sea to persecute the bride. And all of the fear and all of the, the raging agitation caused by the sea is gone. There will be nothing in the new earth and the new heavens but peace and tranquility, the joy and happiness and comfort and praise God for that. No more fear. And the love of the bridegroom, Jesus, we see beginning in verse 2, just flowing out of the, the Savior's mouth. The perfection and protection and love of the bride that our Lord has is described in the symbolism of the new Jerusalem, which is the church. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then came one of the seven angels who said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried him in the Spirit to a high mountain and showed him the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. The church is visualized as the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband and the people of God who were once harassed by the world and the devil see that they in the end are preserved by God perfected for the marriage supper of the Lamb by God. He did the work. He prepared us for the marriage supper of the Lamb. In verses 3 and 4, he declares his sovereignty over all of that work. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is the voice of the Father. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You remember the covenant promise. We've studied this many times throughout the Old Testament. You will be my people, and I will be your God. That's the covenant promise. Theologians have said it's like a a golden thread that winds through all of the scriptures. And here at the very end of the scripture, the covenant promise is seen as perfectly fulfilled. This is the hope of all Christians to be with God. And he says he will do it. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The climactic end of all things is that we are with God forever, safe and secure. And God himself declares this with a loud voice. This is significant. From the throne, a loud voice declares this, shouts this, this truth. Verse 3 says, the dwelling place of God is with man. This word means tent or tabernacle, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with his people. God himself will be with them as their God. All the elect of God. We see portrayed throughout the scriptures as beset by the world, often suffering difficult sufferings and tribulations for the, the gospel and for God. At the end, it's all over and it's replaced by comfort and joy. All the suffering for the king is, is over and the bride is presented to the bridegroom as a perfect and glorious bride. To live with God once again, as man did in Eden, walking with God. And he gathers them, as it were, into his tent, his dwelling place, where we will enjoy eternal fellowship and perfect peace and safety. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things have all passed away. This is good news. This is our good news. This is our story. This is our inheritance. And after telling us of the wonderful inheritance that awaits the bride, namely that we are with God forever, one of the angels actually shows him a picture of the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Verse 9. The seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues spoke to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And carried me away in the spirit to a high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So what follows is a a beautiful description of the perfected church. Seen as a glorious and beautiful and safe and strong city. This, This is the bride of Christ. And of course, this comes on the heels of chapter 17 and 18 in the book of the Revelation, where we see the great contrast of the new Jerusalem with Babylon. Babylon the great, the harlot. Not the bride, but the harlot, Babylon. Chapter 17, verse 4, we see that the woman, the harlot, was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup. You see all of, the, all of the same kinds of imagery, except it's a counterfeit. It's the harlot. And what's in the golden cup? Abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead, you see this, the slaves of God have a, a name of ownership on their foreheads in this vision. But on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So the great contrast with Babylon, the harlot, is the bride of Christ, the perfect new Jerusalem. And chapter 18 of Revelation describes the destruction of Babylon. The world, the harlot, Babylon, hates the bride, but will be destroyed, utterly cast down, Thrown down with violence, it says, and found no more. But that's not our story. Our story is the glory of God. The new Jerusalem. The bride. How does John describe the bride, this this new Jerusalem, that he sees coming down out of heaven? 
verse 11, it, it's described as having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. The king on the throne shines his glory onto the bride, the holy city, and the brilliance really of the most rare jewel of the most magnificent diamond is nothing compared to the glory that's seen in the church as it reflects the glory of God. This is the first characteristic we see of the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem, if you will, and that's the glory of God being reflected in all of its glory in the church. Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, so the bride reflects the light of God. But then we see also more descriptors about uh, this wonderful bride that would comfort the church of all ages. The bride, the city, it had a great wall with 12 gates. And at the 12 gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were written 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The picture is one of perfect safety and security. The picture is one of perfection. The church is perfectly secure in its communion with the glorious one. And the names of the apostles and the angels and the the 12 tribes just represent the perfect completion of all of the elect. Everyone who is meant to be there is part of the bride, including the elect angels. They are there with us, worshiping, safe and secure. Again, remember the great persecution that the church has undergone really since the beginning of time. Since Satan entered the garden, he's always pursued the people of God. And yet with the gates and the walls and all that is described here, we see that what Jesus said is truly true. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. That's the picture we're seeing. It is impossible for any enemy to touch the bride in its perfection. He goes on to describe the perfections of the bride. Not only is it safe, is the, the church safe and complete, it's perfect. Verse 15, the one who spoke had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured its 12,000 stadia, its length and its width and its height are equal. This is all symbolic, but the point, it, it's a 1,400 mile cube, right? A gigantic cube. But the point is that it's perfect in every way. The church is perfect. It's perfectly round or perfectly cubed there's no imperfection to be seen and more than that he measured the wall built of jasper the city made of pure gold like clear glass the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel he mentions all of the jewels 12 different jewels 
The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. This is a bride that's radiant, that's dazzling, that's beautiful. Every time I've seen a bride walking down an aisle, it makes me think of this picture. Because there's just a a shadow of the, the glory of the bride of Christ. When you see a young woman bedazzled and glowing as she walks toward the bridegroom. This is a beautiful city. The streets of gold represent the perfect communion with the bride and the bridegroom. There's nothing that keeps the bride from from communing. The beauty of the walls and the foundations and the gems and the jewels show the great perfection and the beauty of the bride. All made so by the efforts of the bridegroom. Is that how you think of the bride of Christ today? I mean, often the the bride is just trashed in churches. Oh, the problem seems to be the bride. This, This world would be turned around if the bride did what the bride should do. The bride failed again. The church is horrible. The church is failing and miserable. Is that really the problem? This is Christ's church. The bride is Christ's bride. It will be pure. It will be complete. It will be protected. It will be beautiful. The enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not the church. The bride of Christ. When we were interviewing people for office in Meadow Creek Church, one of the questions that Jerry would ask that I love so much is, how do you feel about the bride of Christ? Do you have a, a, a desire to, to enrich and protect and nourish the bride of Christ? Certainly this is the way Christ feels. It's his bride. So not only is it beautiful and safe and perfect, we see perfect communion with the eternal God. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. It's significant, I think, that after describing this this city that's a perfect 1,400-mile cube, bedazzled with jewels and golden streets and pearly gates, he says there's no temple here. If you remember, the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube, and it was bedazzled with gold and jewels. What John is saying is that the whole church is the temple of God. The bride will dwell with God forever. There's no need of a temple. There's no need of a special garden to go. There's no need of a tabernacle to bring sacrifices. We're in perfect communion with our eternal God. Verse 23, the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. Just as the sun gives life and growth and warmth and sight on this earth, So God gives that to his church. 
The sun is the center of our world. You remember in Genesis, it's used for times and seasons. Everything that we do in the new heavens and the new earth will revolve around God and the sun. The glory of God will be the focus of the bride. We'll need nothing else except God. Complete dependence upon him will be our great joy. And this is also a reflected light. Verse 24, by light, by its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations. The glory of the nations will be brought into the church. Once these nations were hostile against God, and God will bring his remnant from every nation and every king, and will flow into the city. The bride will be made up of people who once hated the king of kings. And conversely, we see also that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The king reigns and rules, and that reign and rule will be established in perfection and protection of his bride. Verse 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see in verse 8, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So there will be nothing, nothing detestable that ever enters the city. It will be a pure, undefiled, and spotless bride. Adam was meant to protect and keep the Garden of Eden, remember? The priests used the same Hebrew words that were told to Adam, protect and keep. The priests were told to protect and keep the tabernacle and the temple. And yet Adam failed and allowed the serpent into the very center of the garden. The second Adam, our bridegroom, will ensure that the city is always clean and safe and only his bride will ever be there, pure and spotless. But there's more. Chapter 22, verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, a tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the river flows from the throne of God, This is the water of life flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Symbolic of our salvation and our redemption that we have in the precious and substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus. We sing about it often. Similar imagery. There's a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. The fruitful trees of life are all over the city, watered by the river we have salvation finally verse 3 and 4 and 5 no longer will there be anything accursed 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his slaves, the word is doulos, his slaves will worship him. And they will see his face. Remember, no one was allowed to see the face of God and live. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. To see the face of God is the ultimate of blessings. The Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Turn his countenance, it's the same word, turn his face toward you. Give you peace. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. This is, this is an image of slavery, the, the mark of God, of ownership on the foreheads of his people. He will own us once and for all. The night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Nothing in the city is accursed, but God's slaves will worship there forever. So God's sovereignty is seen everywhere in everything without fail. He will mark the ownership on the heads of all his own and keep them safe as his bride forever. But these are special slaves. For they will live with God and reign with God forever and ever. We find great encouragement in the book of the Revelation, especially rightly understood. It's a great encouragement for us in this hostile world. We experience the these 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 realities that we've talked about today. We already experience some of them as shadows. We certainly have the protection of God. We certainly see God preserving his bride and beautifying his bride and sanctifying his bride now. We certainly see the value of the river of life. The salvation of God that flows all over the earth right now. We see that. Already the bride is being beautified and made safe and victorious. But someday it will all be perfect. And this is our great and wonderful hope. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now as your people. We thank you for your word and the encouragement that we have therein. We thank you that at the very end of the scriptures, you so clearly show us the bride of Christ as a perfect city. Beautified and golden and wonderful safe and protected, which you have preserved for yourself. Lord, we pray that we would have great confidence and comfort in the midst of very real suffering, very real hardship on this earth. Many suffer greatly. We pray that we would keep our feet firmly planted on the earth, that we would stride forward and do your work but our eyes would be fixed on our glorious inheritance, your providential preserving of your bride. Lord, let us not think poorly of the bride of Christ. Let us always cherish and value the bride as you do. Let us be faithful to pray for your bride and strive mightily to preserve and protect and keep and grow in the nourishment of Jesus Christ. May we always drink of the the living water and eat of the bread of life. 
Lord, encourage our souls with these good words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.